Recorded live. Welcome, everybody. It's a special edition of Off-Road Live. We hope you heard part one. We are live from Off-Road Expo. This is Monster Mike on this side. Uh, The Baja crew, unfortunately, is not here. It's a one-man operation. But luckily, we have the secret nuclear weapon on the other line tonight, and that's Baja Bill Fuentes. Bill, thank you very much for calling in again. Good to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Um, and let's start out again, um, like we did the uh, first episode. And you, you just you said a little bit about how it all started, and really quite amazing. Uh, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the mid part of your um, illustrious racing career uh, up and up until you know, like uh, the recent stuff that we talked about in the last episode. Now, bear with me. I've got a couple of technical things to do on my end. So go ahead and talk for like five minutes, and then I'll jump back on board. All right, no problem. Um, Thank you, Bill. Yeah, yeah no problem. Um, when I was 17, I, I dropped out of racing, went to college. Uh, then I spent a year in Spain and uh, worked on my Spanish, perfected that uh, pretty well. And then I uh, came back, worked in Washington, D.C., did some work in the Army, came back, became a police officer over at UCLA during the Olympics. Uh, after that, I had an off-duty motorcycle accident and uh, went into claims adjusting. I really didn't ever want to be a patrol officer, and so uh, the department sent me to their workers' compensation people, even though it was off-duty. And uh, they, they said, why don't you be a claims adjuster? And I stuck my finger down the throat, thinking, no, 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 no. That's like judges and lawyers. And uh, 25 years uh, plus, I uh, never looked back. I uh, really enjoy the work. It's like being a detective. Um, I've done a lot of accident reconstruction, uh, done a lot of accident reporting. Worked for the LA County Fair, of all things. Um, being an accident reporter, uh, go out and uh, find out what happened. The interesting thing with uh, off-roading is that I took that to score, and uh, there was another president of score named Danny Coe for a while. <clears throat> and I, uh, I went to him, and I, I took an accident report uh, one time when a checkpoint worker was run over during a fireworks 250, the same weekend the Walt Lott died. And uh, Danny hired me on after that. He found the importance of investigating accidents uh, to help the insurance carriers, uh, help families, um, things like that, to find out what exactly happened. Because when you have an accident out in the desert, you know, whether it's stateside or in Mexico, when the dust settles and people are gone, you don't have anybody. All you have is the plaintiff. And the plaintiff or the, the claimant comes and says, this happened. And how is the promoter supposed to say it did or it did not happen? And if it did happen, let's document it and let's go ahead and pay for the damages if we did wrong. Most of the time we don't. Uh, it's usually on the outside of a corner. Please listen, folks. The outside of a corner is a horrible place to be. 
uh, in the dust when it's uh, when it's shifting back and forth. Don't be any, anywhere in the dust. And if you're in a park uh, next to the race course, no matter where you are, put cones or something before your area so that in the event that a truck or, or buggy goes off course and is heading towards you and they have dust in their eyes and they're just running across the desert, at least they'll see those cones or some uh, tape or something like that it says there's people up ahead, so I better slow down or, or turn. Um, I, I've seen a lot of accidents in my life, and each each one is different. Uh, each one is unique. Uh, so are the people that are in it. Uh, I've been a checkpoint worker. Um, uh, a week before my wife and I got married, uh, we were checkpoint captains at the 1986 um, Score Baja 500. I've been a checkpoint worker down in San Ignacio with Shirley Moore. Um, I did my first accident report for, for score back in 1986. It was a, a non-race-related accident, but that got a special commendation from the late uh, Steve Cassani at the Score Officials Association, who uh, wrote me in the medic up for uh, uh, going above and beyond the call of duty. And that, to me, and I want to say this to all you uh, uh, volunteer workers out here, wherever the, whatever kind of promoter you're working for, score, uh, Bethlehem Desert, isn't it nice when the promoter comes and, and says something or does something, that makes it all worth it, doesn't it? It did for me. And if you can afford to do these things and do them, then by God, you're a hero in my You're the real stars of, of Baja. You're the real stars of off racing because they can't do this without you. So that's that was my take. Uh, we talked about Kirk Caselli, you know, the late Kirk Caselli, uh, last hour at some length, and, uh, and I knew that there wasn't going to be a, an accident investigation. When I was told at 10:15 in the morning of the 16th <clears throat> that uh, we're sitting at that Las Piatas uh, restaurant overlooking uh, Pacific and Camelou, my friend uh, Brandon Zavala, I just talked to him today. He said, um, you know, we I knew Kurt won. I knew he was going to beat that Honda. And uh, I wasn't really taking sides, but I, I sure wanted to see the KTM win because I, I recall Kurt telling me a couple times, um, and I don't know if he had changed his mind for the race or not, but he was going to find a way to hand that bike to Ivan Ramirez so that he could put it across the line and, and give Mexico its first true, first true real off-road overall champion in a Baja race. What a thing to do for the host country. A lot of people don't know that. Um, people may deny he ever said it. I heard it, and I thought it was a great idea. So um, that's what we were talking about. Uh, I, I knew that you, you can't you, – nobody's ever died uh, hitting a cow on a motorcycle in Mexico that I've heard of, whether it's pre-running or racing. They have died uh, hitting, you know, uh, cars. Uh, Bill Frank in 1978 slid off the road and hit a concrete um, milepost. Uh, killed him there. Um, there's been a lot of bad injuries. Uh, Dave LaCrec was, was killed in 1998 um, when uh, Jason Baldwin went, had gone, uh, went backwards on the course and hit, hit Dave LaCrec. So when I heard that Kurt had died and um, uh, in a short time, and then I heard that there was two motorcycles involved in the same area, a remote area, and that it had been a handlebar, handlebar race the whole way, I, 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 I thought something was wrong. And like me and about 35 other hardcore people, we call ourselves score vets. It's an ad hoc group. They've gotten together, mainly motorcycle racers, but we have a couple of Baja 1000 former champions on there. We've got uh, four journalists. We have uh, sponsors that do not wish to be named because they still might be working or come down someday. We all work together and uh, thought we were going to be presenting things at the Kirk Casale Foundation. Things have, have slowly but surely uh, gone there. Um, and, you know, whether it's, it's by hearsay or whatnot, I'm so proud and, and so glad that what Donnie Amler said in the movie Caselli uh, 66, Ride the Dream, he said something that when that movie came out five months after he died. He says, you know, I think a whole lot of good's going to come out of, out of uh, Kurt's death. And I, I just about choked. I mean, I wanted to call him and scream at him. I said, what, what are you talking about? But by golly, it has. And um, this has been a long, you know, two and a half years. <clears throat> I haven't done it alone. Thank God for all of you who have been out there who send private messages. I keep your names anonymous. Um, some of you are very outspoken. I want to thank you for that, too. But, uh, uh, you know, I write well, I'm fairly well, and 
we've been putting together our executive summary, and it's not going to be published anywhere. It's just in case this ever happens again, when somebody sits out there and is not acknowledged uh, and you don't know what's going on, the theme is when in doubt, shout it out. If you're down here and you're chasing uh, a truck, a car, a buggy, a bike, a quad, if you don't know where your rider, driver, your entry is, and it's been a few minutes and you know that they're, they should be coming in, if you have a doubt, shout it out. Weatherman, this is, you know, 303 Chase. Uh, our car was supposed to be here, uh, you know, 20 minutes ago or whatnot. And I know this because I've been up in the airplane with Weatherman since 1996 when we do the um, uh, peninsula runs. I'm a Spanish interpreter. I haven't made all the races, and I didn't make this last 2014. But please, folks, when in doubt, shout it out. Let Weatherman or somebody know that you don't know where your rider or driver is. Because um, I, I don't think I need to tell you that you know, Kurt was still alive 90 minutes after uh, he was found. The mileage on the trackers were off. You know, uh, you know when you don't have backup and redundancy, you don't have the internet that you advertise, you don't have the spot trackers working as you're paying for, you need to pay for your, you know, get service for what you pay for. Uh, it's a business. Uh, it should work for you. Now, really, that's, I've been a checkpoint worker, weatherman, you know, you know, you name it. I've done it. There's three national championship hair and hounds for the, the Checkers Motorcycle Club. I mean, my God, those are a great bunch of guys. So, anyway, that's... No, no, Bill, there's no question about it. You're an expert uh having to do with this uh uh viewpoint there's no question about it um, yeah but let me also express to you that uh uh from our, the press point of view from where we're coming from everything that we've seen and heard uh and it came out in the article uh having to do with no bikes um that Roger originally wanted to do a sanction with no motorcycles no quads you know no bikes that we announced, uh, and I was I was a voting member of this editorial group that uh, we wanted to express that um, uh, it's our opinion that it's best that uh, non-caged racers uh, don't race and score international uh, right now. Well, and you know, my response was is that that's not going to stop Kyle Abney. It's not going to stop Ricky Brabeck. It's not going to stop Colton Udall, and it shouldn't. Um, but they can have their own trackers, and we can keep track of them separately, and we will. We'll make sure that they don't uh, linger out there. And um, uh, so I, I appreciate uh, the committee's standpoint. Uh, score bets would be very much against that. In fact, we think that more racers now should go down, more motorcycle racers should and could go down there. Um, but, uh, you know, just remember the old days. We had stuck stubs. We had to fill them out. If we had a broken arm or a broken swing arm, we filled them out, we handed them to the next rider, and that's how it went. But today's technology, you can get your own uh, GPS trackers. Um, you can get your own um, um, uh, man-down buttons. We sent that to Roger Norman. I do want to say one thing. Roger Norman, though he and I have differences, he has never shut the door on my communicating with him. Okay? I want to make that very clear. Um, we sent him the man down device, and that's a small uh, thing that you can actually affix inside your ICOM radio. And if if it goes from horizontal to vertical or the other way around for more than 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, it'll send off a pulse. And your chase truck or chase vehicles will be able to pick that up if you're in the area. $200, something like that. <clears throat> we had that in all the Kawasaki's. Kurt Catelli had that in, in his... Um, uh, bike or on his on his radio uh, in 2003 when I was running KTM's rebuilding KTM's offer program around Kurt and Rich. Okay, that's a very important thing. Is that Scott Harden knew the value of family. Uh, he knew the value of Rich, and that's what we did. Was uh, we built the offer program at KTM down in Elkhorn around Kurt and his father. Yeah, that's a, that's a whole episode on its own. All right, let's. Uh, here's what we'll do. Uh, the format on part two, I thought would be this. We'll we'll encapsulize uh, in a you know couple of paragraphs uh, part one, and then we'll move on to um, uh, talk about uh, Roger Norman the person, and uh, 
here's here's what we'll do. Let's uh, uh, let me uh, start by stating that um, um, uh, you, I, I, it's my belief that you have more information about this incident than uh, uh, anybody else has, and clearly your perspective uh, because of your experience, your life experience. Um, I listen to you much more clearly than I do uh, anybody else uh, having to do with this. Even though uh, we on this side have quite a bit of information, uh, you know, your passion in this bill and clearly your life experience uh, transcends uh, the balance of uh, clearly what's been made public um, and it needs to come out. Um, let's, uh, let me just, uh, in a couple of questions, try to get to this paragraph. And it is... Uh, when someone asks you off the street uh and they you know they hear that you knew the man and uh you knew the incident and they say what happened how what do you say in a paragraph and try to be factual which man are you talking about Kirk Caselli or Roger Norman Kirk Caselli what happened I, in the incident I I'm with Daryl Eklund who is uh, I think I'm pronouncing his last name right uh, in the movie, it was five months after the incident, and he, he had ridden down and he couldn't figure out how this could possibly happen, nor can I. Um, they were going at high speeds, uh, 91 miles an hour across mile markers 789 to 791. Kurt's uh, average speed dropped. I'm going to assume that there are certain things like weather that can affect a, a, a GPS or a spot tracking device shifts in weather, you'll never get the same real feed if you go through that spot device, if you're going faster or slower. Um, what happened? I have to just, like I said in the first hour, is that uh, the Ken Kacerik, who was the first one to go out there, he had this impression that something had stopped Kurt a fall, a, he, being hit by a stick. I heard that several times. Um, an alleged puncture wound in his right upper torso that was bleeding when he got there. Now, I don't want to get into what what uh, Ken saw. It doesn't doesn't do anybody any good. Um, but I'd have to say that that um, you know, Kurt could have taken a shortcut. We have a dash cam from 24 hours to the minute after the riders went through from Moss Brothers Racing, and we can see where there are shortcuts and things that can be taken. Um, Kurt, I'm not answering your question because it begs other questions. Why was he so angry when he got on the motorcycle? This is the first time I ever heard that Kurt Caselli being angry when he got on a motorcycle. Never could it be? I, could it be that the, the the chopper had to refuel? That had to be one of them. The GPS wasn't working. Um, apparently, somebody was sitting on his sat phone. You know, how long does it take though? Ten miles, eleven miles. And that's all he, he rode, and then he stopped. I will never say he crashed, although people will say that they picked up one of the, the shrouds from his radiator. Okay, that's fine. But uh, the way it was described to us, uh, not just me, uh, to others in his timeline and in person, is that Ken Pacerek said that Kurt had gone on uh, and laid his bike down as if he just kind of just dropped it, took off his helmet and laid on his back. Okay, and you know I'm not here to doubt that. I have no uh, reason to question uh, the turtles. Uh, he's known as the Baja Turtle. I had to question. Yeah, Ken. Is. Ken would not have made that up. Can't make that up. No. And, and that's I think what made him so mad is that there was there was these claims about high speed get off. Okay, but uh, dead of injury, head injuries. We can't take off your helmet. No, there was there was there was no uh, foundation to any kind of head injuries at all. Right, and I and I already know that, and and uh, you know the fact that he was alive, uh, you know, ninety minutes plus, and then uh, Ken had to go back. He he didn't he didn't go out with a radio. He said because he thought that Kurt would have a sat phone and or a radio. And that's that's a good good point. What what gets me is that you know Kurt didn't have his uh, uh, GoPro on. Uh, for the life of me, I asked the ESPN's reporter. You know, he just wasn't scheduled to have it on. Um, that would have that would have solved everything. Okay, now you've uh, now you've entered into uh, a third party, which I was I'm glad you did because that's the next step that I was going to take. Did 
the reporter or anybody from ESPN, but especially that that reporter who was embedded, did she have an opinion with the facts of what happened? She she wrote what she wrote when she had it. Remember, she had two weeks to get her uh, out uh, reports. I think she did a stellar job, but she had a lot of help. Uh, we I put her in touch with the weatherman. I put her in touch with the Caselli's. Didn't want to speak to anybody really at the time, as I recall. And um, she had she had some doubts. So when I asked her a favor, and I'm going to broadcast this loud and clear, I said, Alyssa, I need you to do me one favor. And she says anything, Bill. I says, I want to know where Roger Norman was when both of those bikes stopped. I, I don't care whether he was flying someplace, driving, eating, sleeping, sitting, talking. I don't care what and where he was at. I just want to know, for the record, don't tell me. Put it in your article for history. It can't be blacked out. And she put it in, in the article, Caselli's uh, Last Ride. You go read the article, guys. It's in there. He was right there. And no, he, he was he was right at a, at the point of the spear where <clears throat> he should have been, but uh, we we now know uh, that the technology that was being in, in employed, uh, that the the uh, coursework that was employed, uh, this was all first timer stuff, and um, unfortunately, it it made into a perfect storm, a terrible perfect storm. Well, that led to bad circumstances. Absolutely. No, no question about that. And we've all learned a really good lesson out of this one. And, and thank you, Kurt. I know you're smiling down to the heavens when Richard up there, but, you know, you guys, um, we, we did this for you. And I did this more for, for Rich than I did for Kurt because I said in the first hour, I was there when Kurt first came into KTM in 2003. And, and Rich told uh, Scott Hart, he says, my son is not going to race in Baja because, you know, things like with Hamill. And then I chimed in, too. And I said, and, and also, when and if Kurt ever goes racing in Baja, he's going to be in a remote area, which he was, and he'll have, have a helicopter over him because he's just too fast. And, um, you know, um, th- this whole thing about the the uh, the uh, cattle guard, toggled wheel, when that was produced, one of our committee members chimed in on a private messenger and said, don't, don't buy that. Why are these guys smiling with a tacoed wheel? They've just lost the Baja 1000 and Kurt's laying there in the hills in the background. You know, they just lost three. Why are they smiling and, and why the picture of a, of a wheel? Well, regardless, they caught the last images of Kurt. Uh, he was smoking and um, he even waved uh, to a fan as he left the pits. Uh, Honda has their own. Uh, their their pit was just just up uh, just a little bit farther up the the road from them at race mile 799. And bless his heart, as Kurt is racing out of the pit, a fan waves to him and he waves to them. Um, I I don't think that you know um, I, you know when you say in a paragraph. It, it I know be, I know it's impossible. Hey, it is there any for, is there any chance that uh, Honda anybody in Honda knew? What actually occurred or knows now and isn't talking? Well, go look at the tracker, okay, and notice that it says Timmy Wheatland, which was the rider record, but it was Colton who was on the bike. He slowed down to an average speed of about 40 miles an hour in the area just after Kurt was laying down. And that begs the question, why did you slow down? You were looking for him. And the helicopters, when uh, Honda's helicopter peeled off of Colton, and went back, as they're supposed to, and helped a KTM helicopter in the search. Question, where was the score helicopters? They were too busy doing a movie on the Sea of Cortez when the real race, the real race was those two bikes. Right. They were shooting They were shooting the trophy trucks probably. Well, uh, I did interview Roger having to do with the, the, the uh, uh, helicopters, and he told me that it just cost too much money to uh, put place choppers at the tip of the spear in front with the uh, uh motorcycles he complained that he spent 80 grand in chopper costs um which he also, is uh he also says he can do the weatherman relay for for twelve thousand dollars in the airplane for a thousand no i can't do it that's that's yeah. that's that's worth two landings at their airstrips for fuel uh, keeping the 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 uh the, uh, uh 
airport open in Laredo overnight. We've got to pay for fuel, guards, the tower, all that stuff. Every time we get out of that airplane, there's a ton of money coming out of there. So if Roger says that it's $12,000 or $30,000, forget it. It costs a lot of money down there. The fees, are, they're not bribes anymore. They're called fees, and it's, it's just part of the, the racing. My well, question, he he was what he was talking about, Bill, was the charges to uh, corporate. I don't care. What's I know, no, no, I know, but just to let you know, that's that's what we talked I, about. It was eighty grand, and then I sat down with Mandy, and Mandy. Yeah. yeah, and she told me specifically. She said that uh, uh, they were grounded by Roger Norman for that race. Well, they were in Ensenada, and and uh, oh no, they did they did some things, but for the role that Sal Fish had, a, right. one, at least one chopper, especially Paul oh. Fish. All fish was in the choppers all the time up there in the front. And they in the front, right, yeah. with the lead bikes. That the the reason why that that chopper did not fly was because it was specifically grounded by Roger Norman. Right, and it, it should have been in the air, but you know we can shoot on it ourselves uh, to the to the you know. Well, but have- but we needed to do that. We let, we needed to br- let's break out all the info. Okay, did Alyssa uh, ever tell you? You know, you know, just flat out. Here's what I think. No. no. Oh, okay. Just very disturbed by it. Um, I have the writings that she had to and from uh, Ken Kosarek. Uh He did not want to talk to anybody because he was so angry. He was so angry that he was sent out there and not somebody from Score, like they should have. I mean, that's that's what Paul Fish would have done. I don't care where Paul Fish would have been. Uh, 90 miles across the peninsula on the Sea of Cortez, it takes 60 minutes at the most, at the most, to go from the Sea of Cortez over to where the uh, mile marker was. In fact, it's probably, uh, uh, I mean, you're still up there. And, yeah, where was the KTM helicopter? Well, I, I sent you just one page of the hel- helicopter logs from the uh, four X-ray bike, the right. uh, our, our monster bike. Sean Reddish gave those to the turtle. And, and they are very damning. And they say nothing about the Honda helicopter except that it peeled off, and it's all about KTM going the wrong way. Well, you know, uh, they were sent the wrong way because SCORE was telling them, this is where we think they are at mile marker 790, but it, it, the, the trackers were up by three miles. That's critical stuff. That's- yeah. And Ken reported that to me also, that when he first started, he knew they, they, they knew there was a big problem before they got the phone call from score and because him and uh, the head of uh, Baja pits were in the same place, they're in the same uh, location. And uh, they knew that there was a problem because there was choppers buzzing around looking for something. They didn't know what it was until they got that phone call. Well, let's, let's talk about those logs and everything. Um, Well, let's see. uh, KTM's choppers being directed in the wrong direction. Scores chopper uh, should have been at the point of the spear was not, was not with the lead bikes. Um, this all has to do with how score ops was coordinated at that moment. Now, um, at that moment, there were a lot of former score ops people who had left by that time, right? I was one of them. Right. I didn't get to come down there. Roger won't have, you know, have me come sit in his command post, and I'm still waiting for that, that offer that I quit for 2014. That's right. I mean, and and, and these are, but these, see, these are people, including yourself, who know what they're doing. I Listen, I, I don't know if I've told you this or anybody has reported this to you. Uh, it's been reported on BajaRacingNews.com that Bill Black, the safety director, quote-unquote, didn't know he was the safety director until he saw it in a press release. Well, you know, he was, uh... He was never told. He was never told directly by Roger Norman that he was getting the job, and in subsequent interviews, he's been very flat out. He uh, he's explained he has he has no business being a safety director of a desert off road race in the Republic of Mexico. He has no business being there. Well, you got to speak Spanish, number one, because that would really help. Okay, you need to speak Spanish, because when I heard the uh, unfortunately, has has been taken down. You say, and that's the weatherman's live feed. Just the just as the bikes are arriving, uh, Colton at the at the cattle guard, and Kurt, where he finally stopped permanently, a radio call comes in from a very clear, crisp English 
speaking, not British, but, but American uh, man, and he says, Weatherman, there's a booby trap out at race mile, listen up now, mile 695, not 795, but 695. It's a concrete, um, huge one of those concrete pipes that you put for water. And the st- standing weatherman, whoever that is, um, said, okay, uh, we'll send Rescue 2 down there. And they barely spoke English. So if you're going to be a safety director down there, by God, I hope you speak Spanish. Or carry somebody with you that, that, that's going to be honest and tell you what's going on. Yeah, and give and you I, translations. Yeah, uh, interpreting, yeah. The, the word, just, I, I didn't know this, is I used to say, well, can you translate for me? No, but I can interpret for you. Interpret is a spoken word translating the written word. But right. Who can interpret for you what's being said. And by God, if you've ever heard Weatherman speak Spanish, you know why he has me up there in the airport. Because his Spanish sucks. <laughs> but, you know, he's, he's, he is who he is, and, and he's been there forever. And I've learned everything from him and Phil Membry and all the other good people that have taught me about uh, sport racing. Uh, you know, and this has been since the 80s. So, yeah, Roger got rid of a lot of folks and uh, put in some new people. I told you in the first hour that I introduced him to Kim Carpenter. And um, in 2012, and she became his, uh, you know, score ops person. And she's a very capable professional. She's a capable professional. She just, I think, well, I know, I, I wish that she would have handled it differently and that's not sit there like she, she said publicly and to me privately, that she sat there and just waited for the KTM helicopter to tell her what was going on with the number 2X. Yeah, and just just between you and I, Bill, you're being much too kind with uh, with Kim. Well, I just you know I I, uh, I know she had an impossible job with Roger standing right behind her. Okay, that must have yeah. been. Yeah. I know this for a fact. You you can't even go potty without telling Roger Norman what you got to do. Everything. No, th- there were there were things that happened today at Off Road Expo that I can't even talk about. Mm-hmm. Now, so well, you, so let's let's move on, but, Bill. Go oh, go ahead, do, wrap it up. No, I I I'm I'm just I want to thank you and the audience for tolerating me. My God, you know I've had some friends that have just heard me cry on the phone, and I've heard their cries too. You know, but we can't bring him back. But what we can do is race in his memory. Ride like Caselli. Would you know what ride like Caselli means? Ride without anger. Ride, um, ride always when you're happy, um, and and just um, enjoy life. And and then you can't even crash. I mean, but he was angry that day, and that's that's what really breaks my heart. And I, there's not a day, there's not a day that I don't go where I don't think about that accident. Well, right. and what that what that phrase also means to me is ride like a consummate professional. Right. That's what he was. He was and, and that's what he was, and that's what uh, he espoused to the people around him. And that's why that whole discussion came out about the San Felipe 250 in public, on uh-huh. radio, and that's the reason. Why, yeah, that's the reason why it's recorded and put you know put onto our uh, off-road live system. And the reason why is because it means something that you cannot allow negligence ignorance and things like you know those things exist in what we're doing because we're so far on the edge that if you will tolerate if you allow that kind of behavior uh, mm-hmm. you might as well expect that you're going to lose people absolutely absolutely so that's what we're getting that's what we're getting to right now. We're 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 just trying to clean up and you know folks, I know some people may question this conversation, but you yeah. have to understand the fa- the complete facts have come out like drips uh, out of a slow running faucet. Uh you know, and it was intentional that this was covered up. Yeah, and, and I mean and then Honda JCR Honda leads, and they don't have anything on their website about their last Baja 1000 victory? My cover up. God. Cover After up. 50 years. Well, I didn't say it was a cover up. It just, it, like I said earlier, I'll give you Johnny this. You know, maybe he just felt uh, compassion and didn't want to bring attention to his team winning when there was such a tragedy. Yeah, but when you have information and you're not discussing it in public so that it benefits everybody, 
in in our right. minds, as far as the press goes, it's a cover up. So, um, all right, now we've we've gotten to a majority of the material that has never been talked about uh, in public. Some of the stuff has been, but it was piecemeal and it was found in different locations. I think we've done a nice overview. Obviously, we haven't answered all the questions because uh, they haven't been completely answered yet. There are people who know things that will talk eventually. Uh, that's how these things work. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things I try to describe to people is that when you're talking about desert off-road racing, you're kind of talking uh, about a group of people that, that is very similar to a uh, dysfunctional motorcycle club. Absolutely. Uh, Bingo. We are so dysfunctional, and we are we got to be crazy to be doing what we do down there, and that's what's so beautiful about it. We're nuts, but we have a great time. So and I, in explaining that to people, then they they start to understand. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's not it's not a hundred percent professional. It and it's not it, it at the same time it's not Mad Max. And yeah. and depending on the the group that you're racing with and the class that you're in and how much experience you have, that's where it varies in between uh, this totally professional operation and Mad Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. Uh, and tell me, uh, Mike, if you want me to stop it. You know, one of the things that Kurt said was, unlike others, he says, I just want to be on the winning team. That's all he said at, at the pre-race conference before he uh, he passed. He says, I just want to be on the winning team. Listen to him. Listen to him. And also listen to Ivan, if you can understand Spanish. Uh, Maximo Velocidad, uh, they did an interview with him after the race. And, you know, he was, he said some things that were, you know, quirky about that. Really, uh, qualifying stuff. That's just show. I mean, making the, the bike racers wait until after the cars and then make them first to start. Do you know how much focus that takes away from your preparation? Oh, no. Let, let me tell you, as soon as you brought that up, Bill, it blew my mind because, you know, I I never looked at it that way. I See, I always look at things from the truck perspective. And to do that to the moto guys, you know, after you brought it up, it's like um, – <clears throat> if if that is not willful behavior, it's clear negligence. Well, I mean, I, I raced motorcycles only for a couple of years when I was young, but I remember you. that's all you're thinking about. And, you know, Kurt and the team spent weeks down there. I mean weeks, every day, 10 to 12 hours a day, riding all the time. And uh, he, what few sat phone calls that he made back up here, you know, he was, he was just uh, – he was – you know, just nervous, and he, you know, I didn't talk to him, but uh, talked to him in June before he went down, and uh, he's just, this, this well, is let's, something that he wanted let's, to win for, for Mexico, I think. Yeah, well, let's get to uh, what part two is all about, and uh, we're going to talk about Roger Norman, and the way I want to start is, uh, you don't have your laptop, and you've just worked a couple of days for Roger Norman, and suddenly you get your laptop back from Roger. Can you tell us about that story? Yeah, it was just I never worked again. I, I, what happened was um, I, I wasn't afraid of what he might do to me. Uh, I was afraid of what I was going to do to him. And I think it was like June 10th of 2012, I was up in Reno, and I'd had it. And in three days, I won't name names, but uh, it was just, uh, you know, I, I thought I'd be doing paperwork and helping promote, but instead I was, you know, doing the water truck and, and digging out all these huge rocks and stuff. And, you know, Roger said some things that just uh, put a chill down my spine, but I'm not the only one who's ever heard those kinds of things. I just had to hear it for myself. And so what I did was uh, a Sunday morning, I think it was June 10th, I said, Roger, uh, I'm not coming up to your house in Reno. I spent one night there. The other nights I spent in the desert. Um, I said, you're going to bring my personal belongings down to the highway patrol office down here. And uh, you're going to be there at 9 o'clock, not a minute late, not a minute early. You're going to be there at 9 o'clock. And uh, then I get to the highway patrol office, and it's closed. And I said, all right, next plan. I go to the Lowe's parking uh, lot, and I said, uh, change of uh, location, Lowe's parking lot, be here at 9. Don't be late. He was there. He brought his wife, and they drove over to my Jeep Grand Cherokee, and they set my stuff down, and they said, Bill, we're over here. And I said, just leave it. I'm out of here. 
and he walks over, and, uh, you know, this is, I hear this pattern from other people, too, so I don't feel, at the time you hear it, you, you think that, uh, you know, you're really, uh, maybe there is something wrong, but he goes, Bill, do you have any mental problems? And I said, no, I get in a 3.7 in the graduate school, I have no mental problems. Are you talking about emotional problems, Roger? Because if you are, you know what a really true friend would do? If they thought that I was really an emotional wreck right now, they'd do the right thing right now, right this second. They'd take that phone in your hand and dial 911 and have the police and the fire department come out here and assess me right now. Instead, uh, I left with no money. And, uh, I mean, I, I didn't get any of my expenses paid for, anything like that. And he said he was going to do all that stuff. So lesson learned there. I was broke. Pulls back in the the parking lot at the Lowe's. After I had left, I go, shit, how am I going to get home? And uh, went to my AA. was going to go to my AA club and stuff. I'm a recovering alcoholic for many years. And I, I was driving out, and he drives back in with his truck, and he's holding two $100 bills out. And he goes, Bill, do you need money to get home? And I told him, that was a lie. I told him, no. And I was just stubborn and you know, had my thumb in my mouth and crying. And uh, he says, are you sure? And I saw the $200, and I said, of course I need the money to get home. And as I reached for it, there's Elise Norman taping me on her cell phone. So I go, oh, I see Elise is taping our, our transaction here. So I looked at the, the clock on my dash, and I said, it's 9.10, or, yeah, 9.10, 9.15, whatever the time it was, uh, June 10, 2012. Uh, Elise Norman's recording this, and she has my express permission to continue to record it to record it. At least that's how we do it. You don't just tape people without letting them know. Anyway, I took the $200, and then when I got back, my computer didn't and, You know, anything could happen. He could say, well, I broke. Well, no, 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 know, hold on. Let's, let's talk. Let's, well, no, let's talk about it. You, you took a I laptop. Had two, I had two computers. I had two laptops. Okay, you, had, you brought two laptops, and when those were returned to you, they did not operate as they had. No, I, I had I left one in their home and I took my Dell, the one I can I can throw off of a cliff and it'll still work. I took that with me out to the desert. Um, how did the uh, the uh, uh, laptop in their home? Uh, how did it non-operate when you received it back? It's been it's been that long. Those kinds of things either I block. I, I just know that I turned it on and it just was doing all the fuzzy stuff. And I'm not too. Comp- Computer whiz. I'm better now than I was before, but um, it, but it did not. It did not operate correctly. It's like all the memory was taken out of it, or something like that. I can't remember. But my other computer, thank goodness, uh, the Dell, uh, military grade one, it it you know didn't get affected, and I was able to transfer a lot of stuff over there. But it wasn't anything you know novel or secret. It was just stuff, and it just makes me mad that that everything that I had, you know, forget a computer for just a moment. You go up there and you and you offer six weeks of your time. School is out, and he says, "I'll give you four weeks before and, and two weeks after." You got to clean up after these raises, doctor. He goes, "Oh, that's a great idea. When you can you get up here? When you can you get up here?" I says, "When I got the money to come up there, I will." He goes, "Well, come on!" And every day from May seventeenth uh, to June seventh, he's calling me every freaking day. Somebody says, "Bill, did it ever occur to him to maybe send you two hundred dollars for gas to get up there so you can get up there?" Yeah, this is a whole episode that this uh, Reno Fireworks three five hundred. We'll get to that, but um, and by the way, that boggles the mind. But let's. I, I want to get back to this technology thing because I've had a similar circumstance where um, we do uh, certain electronic things on the internet to try to uh, get information out to uh, uh, the desert racing public and, and fans. And I can express this is the very first time I've ever spoken about this. There have been lots of fun play games mm-hmm. that have come that have come from uh, Score International since Roger Norman took over, oh, including yeah. their webmaster uh, doing certain things to play games with our operations. And let me express to you that uh, the only kind of person that directs staff to do the kind of stuff that their webmaster did is a uh, is several steps beyond a fucking control freak. 
No, no. I mean, how about a 28-year-old uh, college student who contacts me about how do we get these motorcycles back back in, in the entries? And I'm not going to name her name. Um, but, you know, she toyed with us for about a week. And, uh, you know, how do we get these motorcycles back? And, you know, I'm I'm real big up on Tony Guerra. He's a young man who's an iron, iron man rider, and I'm really proud of him, really proud of him. And also with Ricky and Udall and all those guys, they are the real real hard chargers right now. And I said, I don't know. All I can say is that I can write you a book right now and it's probably not going to do any good. And I almost said her name right now. But, you know, he sent her. And how did I get rid of that problem? It was becoming an annoyance. I said, it's a bad idea to lie to your employer. <laughs> and that, meant, that meant don't don't tell me and don't tell Roger certain things and then uh, do another. And it was, it was. Uh, I showed it to people, and I said, "This is just the kind of stuff that it, it, it piggybacks onto what you're talking about." You know, it has to do with fear—fear fear that we're going to lose what we have or not get what we want. Mark those words down. That is, that is a crippling thing. It paralyzes people. Fear paralyzes us, and that's what happens when you have a lot of money. You have a lot of money, and you're afraid you're not going to get what you want, or you might lose what you already have. Yeah. Well, let's let's continue in this vein. Uh, I want to, uh, and it's it's something that uh, uh, we've been uh, <clears throat> uh, been very sensitive about since the beginning, and I'll talk about the beginning in in just a second here. But now that uh, this is all broken loose and everything's on the on the ground now, it's it's time for us to start talking turkey about what's really going on here, and it mostly involves two people. It involves uh, Roger Norman and Elise Norman. Roger, uh, the Nevadan who lives up, uh, sometimes in San Diego, he has his uh, score operation in uh, based in El Cajon, California, and his wife, Elise. Now, I have to tell you, Bill, I have spent several hours uh, in their company, um, and even before that, um, I was told by George Antill that they wouldn't have me at their house because they, quote-unquote, didn't trust me, Eventually, apparently, I was okay because I did uh, spend time there. But before that, I was contacted originally by Roger Norman to remove uh, material off of a website that I don't have control over, but a family member does. And uh, it, it was implored that this information needed to be removed. And when I uh, uh, asked the types of questions like, uh, well, is this stuff true? I mean, is it, are you just sensitive? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it came out that he's just sensitive about negative stuff, talked about Roger Norman, uh, his operations, his wife, you know, those types of things, which I'm, I understand. So mm-hmm. uh, I uh, talked with Gary, the editor of BajaRacingNews.com, and he agreed that uh, to make things more comfortable, uh, we removed uh, some content. And part of that content was uh, observed reporting from uh, – there was a period of time where he was racing, and he had a uh, 724-365 virtually uh, streaming webcam, uh, a guy, of course, a cameraman with it, uh, following him around uh, contingency at a, uh, a Baja off-road race. And also on him when he got out of the vehicle after – uh, striking a motorcyclist um, and putting him in very, very serious condition. Guys, lucky he lived. Um, at which time, now tune in your ears, everybody, because this is the first time that I've ever spoken of it. I didn't witness it. Uh, it was reported in BajaRacingNews.com. It was removed for a period of time, and then it was put back on there. And the reason why it was put back on BajaRacingNews.com was because at the time we were asked to remove it, there was no ex- there, he was a private citizen racing uh we did not know though we now have determined that he was organizing a racing sanction by your testimony your your witness uh that he was at the time uh considering putting together a race sanction so what ultimately was really occurring was that he was trying to clean up the internet so that he could be nice and clean when he started his uh uh, his his new uh, venture of being a race organizer. 
Um, at which time we determine that uh, the public does need to know about this, and uh, edit the editorial group decided that the information needed to be put back on there. And it's this, that after uh, Roger Norman was involved as a driver in striking a motorcycle in one of the races, his mother approached him after the race when he got out of the truck, and Roger's mom said to Roger Norman, have you taken your meds today? Of course, she didn't know the importance of that question, the relativity having to do with striking a, a rider earlier in the day in a race, and she was not aware that a live webcam was documenting everything that was happening around Roger. Now, what Roger originally intended that camera to do during contingency earlier the previous day was to watch him get his championship ring from the Baja 1000 that he won the year prior and that he walked around contingency with the ring on showing it off to everyone, including the people who didn't ask nor didn't see it. He was... He would walk up to somebody and go, look what I got today. Unbelievable. Let's add some balance to this one. He called me about a week after he ran over Tim Nugent, and he asked me, he says, Bill, um, can I get, is there any legal or liability problems that I can have if I take in Tim for three to six weeks so he can mend and go back to Georgia? And I says, well, you know, I'm a paralegal. I'm not a lawyer, but I, I'm going to set that all aside for a second, Roger. What is it to be human? What, why, don't, why don't we just look at this from a human standpoint? And, and let's pretend that a jury, let's say that Tim wants to go ahead and sue you. He's signed so many liability forms. He knew what was going on. It's nobody's fault. It just happened. I think it's a good human, humane thing to do to put him up in your house in PB for forever much time. And so he said, thank you. So, you know, he took him in. And they went racing the next year. So when those little kinds of good things come out about Roger. No wonder he's never, you know, shut the, the communication off because I think he respects me. You know, that's a good idea to ask somebody if he can get into trouble by putting him up. Is that admitting guilt? No. Or is admitting liability, I should say. No. It's you being a kind racer to another racer. You know, and, and I'm just throwing that in his balance. You know, because oh no, it was the right thing to do, and I'm glad you mentioned that he called you personally. I think that's you know, and that, that's great information. Um, and, and we it, called me about the the separate organization. Yeah, uh, very important, very important stuff. So here we are. We've had all these relative experiences with this individual, uh, one one Roger Norman, and. Um, uh, he he now is in control of uh, a racing sanction that just released uh, one of the, one of the longest Baja 1000s that I've ever seen on the course map. I mean, an extensively long Baja 1000. He loves putting on uh, these uh, very challenging race events, um, but at the same time, he's uh, he's also uh, tying the hands of many of the uh, race teams by giving them a terrible tracking system, bringing on uh, the Mexican Red Cross, which uh, you know can uh, be a, a challenging uh, experience for someone coming from the United States expecting a level of uh, medical professionalism that may not be quite so easily found in the United States. Um, and that's that, let's move on to uh, talking about these these operations that he's uh, guiding in these desert off-road races. Roger Norman is the owner of Score International that puts on the Baja uh, race events, the 250, the 500, 1,000. And uh, if you look at BajaRacingNews.com, they also have a couple of additional events uh, for uh, 2016. One of the things that uh, Roger said in an interview with me was that I brought up the whole thing about Hal Andrioli uh, being an insurance broker and being uh, uh, Sal Fish's uh, uh, medical director for SCORE. At which time, and this was a meeting that I had with uh, him and his wife, he brought up the fact that he had tossed out, quote-unquote, removed instant Mexico auto insurance from any kind of sort of uh, uh, race operations, medical operations, 
because he determined that they were operating a group of meat wagons, quote unquote, and that's a vehicle that has no medical resuscitation or uh, benefits as far as equipment to uh, to the victim. Uh, they merely provide transportation. That's what a meat wagon is. Mm-hmm. And and that's the reason why he excluded them from uh, any kind of participation in SCORE having to do with um, uh, medical services uh, in future events. Now, of course, later on, he found out that nobody from the insurance business wanted to get anywhere near uh, him other than the ones who had already been there for the previous owner. And as a broker, uh, Instant was the only company willing to do anything for Roger Norman having to do with SCORE. And therefore, he had to accept them as a sponsor. And now if you look at the, you know, any of their sponsor stuff, uh, it shows uh, Instant Mexico Auto Insurance as being a um, provider. Uh, the, the provider and broker for, uh, 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 for the event, when in actuality it's the company out of Mexico City uh, that they broker for that is actually the insurance provider. And what they merely do is they'll, they'll help Roger in situations that involve his personal effects. Well, get your own insurance, get your own GPS trackers, get your own man down devices. I've got the people that you can talk to. Um, well, Bill, hey, Bill, that's what we need to do at, at this very moment. Uh, what public information would you like to give out for people to get a hold of you? I'd like, I'd like Roger to answer those calls from the paramedics out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, let's see here. I'd like to listen to Raymond Gray, who will who will who will say, "We're paramedics. We love Baja. We go down. We spend our money. If Roger would just take care of our little meager expenses like gasoline and insurance, we'll ride the courses. Two, we'll do it tandem. We'll have radios. We'll have different frequencies, and we'll go tandem." But Roger doesn't listen to those calls, according to these paramedics that I talked to. And they'd be willing to go down there for free and ride the course and be of service. No, I know Ken Kasorik was uh, supposed to be a part of that also. Right, right. I mean, doesn't that make, I mean, that, talk about harmony. In, in the, I mean, talk about camaraderie. I, I would love to be racing down there and know that there's some guys or women uh, that are in that are motorcycles or whatnot, and that they have some superior communications, <clears throat> superior communications that they're willing to donate from their own departments for the use of saving a life. Just saving a life. Hey, so, Bill, if, if somebody uh, wants to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? 619-916-7600. Yeah, say it one more time. Area code 619-916-6155. Yep. And, folks, let me let me be uh, just flat out with you. This this is the most experienced uh, Baja resource that we've ever talked to live here on Off-Road Live. Um, uh, we want to thank uh, Baja Bill Fuentes for being on the show. Um, and we also want to thank you, Bill, uh, for your contribution to making racing as safe as possible, and of course, all of your perspectives having to do with not only that but life in general. I, I really respect uh, where you're coming from, and uh, everybody uh, I know, I've already talked to them over months and months and months with the editorial board here at BajaRacingNews.com, including Gary, and we uh, we all have a great deal of respect for you and and wish only the best for you. We, we'd like to invite you to part three on Monday. Can you do it? Yeah, sure. And I'd just like to just say this. I'm just paying it back. You know, for all that you have given me, and I don't mean Baja Racing News, you're the meat and potatoes of the reality of what's going on. I mean, we may not like what we read about us, but you know what? There might be a little truth in there. might be something we might want to look into. You know, uh, you guys petrified me. But I trust you now. I have faith. I don't even trust you. I have faith in you. You guys gotta. You have the Mexican Mexican interest in your in your hearts and minds. So do I. Um, everything that everybody's ever done in Baja racing, I owe you. I owe you for where I'm at today. Thank you. Well, Bill, uh, right on. 
you know, the old vernacular from when I was growing up. And uh, we, we'll have you back on Monday. Why don't you call in at um, – uh, well, tell you what, I, we'll, we'll talk about that what, uh, on our regular show uh, on Monday. We'll have you on, uh, and we'll do part three. We'll talk about the uh, Reno Fireworks 500 because uh, I have some information that mixed with yours. I know that uh, we'll, we'll determine some facts here and find out uh, who the real Roger Norman is, among other things. Uh, and and I, I can't I can't tell you how much we appreciate uh, your perspective, your contribution. Look forward to having you on Monday. I'll call you before then, and uh, wish you a good evening tonight and salutations. And for of course all of our uh, uh, audience, we thank very much for your uh, participation. Uh, this is Off Road Live, Monster Mike, your uh, humble host. Uh, we've been talking for the last hour, part two with uh, Baja Bill Fuentes. Uh, we're live from the Off-Road Expo. There's a party that I'm late to, so i got to get going. And then uh, there's a little social. Um, and, and let me let you know, Bill, uh, I will tell people that uh, uh, Part 3 is coming. I know they'll want to hear about that. And we also want to uh, uh, bring our friends on, and, of course, that's Ram Trucks, Marlboro, uh, Hard Rock, Budweiser, Red Bull, and, of course, uh, uh, BajaSafari.com, the king of Baja. And, um, uh, again, Bill, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll see you on Monday. And everybody, we'll see you all back on Monday. Bye. Bye. Off-Road Live from the Off-Road Expo. And you thought we were just music? <laughs>